From FingerLakes1.com, this is Inside the Finger Lakes. I'm Josh Durso, and our program today begins with a broad question. Where does the coronavirus pandemic leave the various environmental headlines that have dominated the region over the last two years? The local stakes are still high, whether you're talking about a sewer sludge composting facility in Butler, landfill issues in the southern tier, or active solar projects which sprawl across central and western New York. A conversation with Peter Mantius, a reporter with decades of experience and more than 10 covering the Finger Lakes and southern tier. He gave us an update on the biggest environmental headlines from over the winter, and we pick up the conversation discussing the proposal in Butler and where that stands now. Um, there's, a, there's a company based in Flushing, New York called uh, Tully Environmental. It's a large company. They proposed um, to um, export sewage sludge from New York City uh, to a site in Wayne County uh, next to uh, Walcott Creek. Um, they were proposing to take, I think, about 300 tons a day uh, from New York City, this sludge from New York City, to an enclosed building. They would, mi- they would mix the sludge with, um, with wood chips and other materials and, uh, and then either spread it on farmland or use it as fertilizer in some way. That was the, that was the general plan as it was outlined at a meeting in Butler public meeting in Butler uh, on March 9th that drew a drew a packed crowd and I was there now that I now that I think about it it was very dangerous of us to all be meeting like that but you know we we've all learned with you know COVID-19 gradually um, you know the importance of social distancing Um, we were all completely ignoring that on March 9th when we packed into that into that uh, place that I think had maybe, I think had a capacity of 150 people. People wine everywhere. Everybody breathing on themselves, on each other. What, uh, what are the expectations for that moving forward now that we've sort of seen a shift in, you know, how this is actually going to progress? I mean, there's, there are fundamental questions about how, um, this or any project of this kind could be moved through a process where people's voices are heard, given the severe limitations uh, that local town boards and even county boards are now faced with in terms of getting input from the public. Yeah, I, I think this project is faces a really steep hill right now. I think it's going to be very difficult to pull it off now. You know, maybe circumstances will change in, in several months, but right now it looks it, it it looks like it's going to be very difficult. For one thing, the day after that meeting, um, the representative from Tully, a guy named Dan Scully, wrote a letter um, to town officials, basically saying, "We're not exactly sure what this plant is going to look like." And they even they even vacillated, vacillated a little bit on whether it would be an enclosed structure. Um, and I think that's kind of required, but they they've hedged a little bit on that. And they then they said, well, we're not sure it would work economically if we have to do that. It's tricky engineering. It's expensive. Uh, so even they seem to be vacillating a little bit. They have not sent a final. As far as I know, they have not sent a final plan to the town yet. So the town, the, the, the town has a consultant waiting in the wings, Barton and LeJudas, who we all know about. Uh, um, they're waiting in the wings to consider a final plan if a final plan arrives, but there isn't one yet. 
So the town has apparently agreed to spend up to $10,000 uh, with Bartman and Judas, kind of an hourly rate, to look over a final plan. But there is no final plan, as far as I know. Now, I might be wrong on that. Maybe it's happened in the last day or two, but I don't believe there is any final plan yet. So that's that has to happen. And then also, I don't believe that there has yet been an application with the State Department of Environmental Conservation on the site. And that whole process, that's a big state process that's going to involve the uh, state environmental conservation law, um, Environmental Quality Act. Uh, and, and that involves public hearings, all sorts of uh, all sorts of steps that have to be taken. That hasn't even been filed yet. So there's a lot that hasn't taken place yet. But you know what what has taken place is is that the uh, the community has really you know risen up on this. And when I drove up there, I was amazed at how many yard signs and um, just evidence as you drove in the town of Butler of how much opposition there was to this project. And then when I got to the got to the uh, the town hall, you could just see people were they couldn't even fit in the building. They were standing outside. They had just, you know, there were a lot of people in a tremendous amount of opposition already. Uh, so that's fully developed, but the plan itself doesn't seem very fully developed. So I'm, I'm not, uh, I would, I wouldn't uh, say this, this, this project has uh, good prospects at this point. We're also hearing, obviously, every day about how the, uh, the economy is is effectively just free falling uh, at this at this stage of the game uh, is there do you think there are probably conversations happening in the background with a project like this beyond the initial economic concerns that maybe the developers might have had uh, now that 30 days you know after that meeting the world looks a lot different present day than it did on uh, March 9th well it does and, and uh, in fact all sorts of projects um, that involve regulatory uh, approval um, are really going to have to be put on hold almost because you can't have the, you know, the required public hearings or you're going to have to find a workaround for the requirement of public hearings. What do you do about that? I mean, that also applies to all of these wind and solar projects that we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but how, how does a regulatory agency deal with the fact that they're required to, um, you know, to hold public hearings on controversial projects. What do you do? And um, I'm, I'm sure they're working on it, but uh, I don't know the answer yet. For sure. Um, so let's get into the, the Greenwich stuff. Um, first, what is Greenwich and, and what, uh, give us sort of the, the generic definition of what it is, how it operates and things like that. Sure. Well, well uh, you know, Greenwich is a, uh, is a power plant that was, uh, that was built in the 1930s. It's in Dresden, which is about uh, a little bit uh, more than halfway up uh, the west side of Seneca Lake. Um, it's a power plant that operated as, uh, as a coal-fired plant up until uh, the last decade. Um, it, it, um, its owners uh, <clears throat> got in a lot of uh, financial trouble. It was the the, uh, the plant was acquired by a private equity group in Greenwich, Connecticut, and they applied to convert this plant from coal burning to natural gas burning. 
and they um, they won state permission to build a little um, uh, relatively short um, pipeline, gas pipeline connecting to a much larger pipeline that gave them a, a very you know, very excellent uh, source of natural gas. Uh, you know, to fire this plant. Now, what the interesting thing that's happened recently is that uh, Greenwich announced, <clears throat> um, let's see, when did it announce that? It was uh, March, early March, that they had installed a bank of computers that are now going to process uh, Bitcoin transactions. Bitcoin is the, uh, is the virtual digital uh, currency. Uh, that relies on nodes of computer, uh, banks of computers, just like Redditch, all over the world to confirm and verify their transactions. So instead of um, operating as a plant that would provide peak power uh, to the, the New York State grid, which it will continue to do, by the way, um, it's it's... It, it, its primary focus now seems to be uh, using, you know, doing this Bitcoin processing. So it's not necessarily going to be giving all its, this power that, that it's been allowed to, you know, to, uh, to create. Uh, for the grid, it's going to be doing Bitcoin transactions. And it started off, uh, it said, by it, it's only using 14 megawatts out of its 106 megawatt capacity for Bitcoin but it also acknowledges that it wants to ramp that up considerably. Um, why? So, uh, why? Why? Well, because uh, they can obviously make money at it. And uh, they announced, uh, I haven't written about this, but they have announced that uh, just, uh, I believe it was last week or the week before, that they have sold on the open market um, some of their computing power. Now this gets very abstract, so you have to work hard to follow it. Um, so they, what they've done is they've installed this bank of computers that's, that, that is now processing Bitcoin. What they've done now is they've said to some anonymous buyer, they haven't announced who the buyer even is, some anon anonymous buyer has now purchased the computing power that Greenage is is uh, is generating. Um, so this has become a this has become now a financial commodity. The ability to process Bitcoin is now something that can be commoditized and traded on the open market, and that's what's happening right now. And you know, to me, I, I'm sort of scratching my head on this because um, the the Cuomo administration really went out of its way to allow this plant to repower. It easily could have just been shut down, but they decided to allow it to repower because they said, well, the grid really needs this extra power. And so it gave a $2 million grant, not a loan, a grant, 2 million bucks of taxpayer money to get this thing up and running again. And then it also, uh, gave some in, extremely generous uh, interpretations of state and federal environmental laws to allow it to be permitted. And now that energy is going, uh, you know, it's, it, 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 it's um, what's it being used for? 
You know, it's a big question to me. And what kind of oversight exists in that space or, or is there no oversight in that space? What a Bitcoin? Yeah. In term, well, in terms of, so they've, they've gotten money from the state. You talked about the $2 million right. and they've effectively, it sounds like used that while it appeared to be to resume their operation as an energy facility, but have actually transitioned at least some of that, that money and some of those resources into a Bitcoin operation. Right. A Bitcoin. Yeah. It, it's a, Yes, that, well, that's, you know, I, I, it raises questions to me about, you know, was that the proper use of, uh, of, of let's face it, state government subsidies in the, in the, in the, in the, uh, the $2 million grant? And it's also a significant subsidy if you um, take a very light approach to applying federal and state uh, environmental laws. For example, um, they've gotten a waiver on following the Clean Air Act rule that says you can't just simply have a, you know, a huge pipe that goes into Seneca Lake and sucks, uh, you know, tens of millions of gallons a day out of there without having filters on it. You have to have filters. Greenwich doesn't have to have filters. And, and you know, this saves, of course, a ton of money for the private equity company that is also profiting from the Bitcoin transactions. The fact that they don't have to, you know, spend the money to comply with the law, because the state said, "Oh, you don't have to." Uh, there's also, and the also the other part is that they also have a, uh, a coal ash landfill that they were supposed to clean up by 2016. They haven't cleaned it up yet, and the the deadline for doing that continues to get extended. And so these are subsidies. These are you know subsidies that a private company is gaining. And at the same time, they're, they're going off on this uh, Bitcoin tangent. Um, so. <clears throat> is, is there any clear indication when maybe this started or when Greenwich started to think about this or the company began mulling over this Bitcoin uh, potential? Because it seems like something logistically that would take a little bit of time and a little bit of energy and planning to make a reality? I have very little insight into the, the process of how they decided to do this. Um, it, uh, I think the company is, uh, you know, they're, they're guarded in talking to, to me because I've raised a lot of questions uh, along the lines of the, you know, the lawsuits that were filed against them by Sierra Club and others about these environmental issues. So we, you know, we, I, I think there's uh, unfortunately a bit of an adversarial relationship there. So they're not exactly, you know, they don't even share press releases with me and things. So, um, so I'm not, I don't have an easy access to figure out where their heads are at. And I can't, it, it's hard for me to also get their side of the story too, because if I call and ask for their side of the story, I don't get a response. What uh, you mentioned, uh, the coal ash landfill, um, how that was supposed to be cleaned up in 2016. Here we are four years later in 2020, no activity there. Is that sort of the what's next to watch on this story? Or what, what are the things that you are watching um, for as it relates to uh, Greenwich's continued operation in Dresden? Sure, I guess I'm, I'm uh, 
I'm not holding my breath that there's going to be any uh, you know significant change here because the the state has continually um, just backed off uh, forcing compliance on these issues, and they. Uh, you know, there was a consent agreement that uh, the company and the state entered into in 2015 that, that said very specifically, this needs to be done by this date. Well, that got blown off. The next date got blown off and it's just been postponed. And, uh, it can, you know, it still is not fully resolved. And, uh, you know, I'm not, as I said, I'm not holding my breath as to when it will be. If the long-term implication is that, and in a minute we can get into the, the wind and solar issues. Um, if the long-term implication is that social distancing has to be maintained, uh, the Harvard study suggested that perhaps up, up until 2022, we're talking like a year and a half. Um, if that is the case, do you, do you see a scenario where maybe some of these regulatory agencies, New York State, DEC, uh, EPA, where they move to or transition to a purely written feedback um, methodology? There's going to be pressure for that, I, I think, for, uh, you know, in one direction. I mean, when you consider that, um, you know, that the New York State has this goal of, of being 70 percent, you know, of its energy coming from renewables by 2030. That's going to be incredibly difficult to do unless you start approving some of these wind and solar projects. It's just not going to there's no way to achieve it unless you get approvals. Well. If you have to get approvals, you're going to have to you're going to have to uh, uh, move the approval process along somehow, and the only way to do that, I I, I would say, is to is to figure a workaround on these on these uh, required public hearings. And I don't know what I don't know how they would plan to do that, but uh, I I can see the need to try to do that. <laughs> um, there were already legal changes uh, to the way by which um, some of these wind and solar projects would move. Um, walk us through what some of those uh, proposals were, what actually was thrown into this state budget, and how that's going to affect. I thought you had a great story a couple of weeks ago on the volume. Frankly, it showcased the volume of some of these wind and solar uh, projects right here in the Finger Lakes region in Southern Tier. Right. Well, there, you know, there are uh, a number of these really large um, solar projects in particular. In the, in the uh, uh, years ago, wind, there were more wind projects. Now it's kind of shifted over to solar, at least in upstate New York. Um, the problem is, uh, you know, Governor Cuomo, in order to meet that goal of 70% renewables by 2030, wants to see some of these large industrial scale solar projects get through the regulatory process and get producing energy. Um, the, the problem has been the, the way you get these approved is, is uh, under Article 10 of the Public Service Law. And that, that law um, was intended to move things along quickly, but it hadn't worked out that way. In fact, since 2012, I, I believe there are 60 pending projects and only five of them have won approval. So that is in effect a major bottleneck for these large projects. Um, 
you know, what's, what's happening, particularly with the wind projects, is they get local opposition. People don't want to see these cited in their, in their locales. Mm -hmm. And um, so it's, it's this tension, you know, the state needs the projects, but many times there's, there's intense local opposition. Um, um, so what, what's happened now is because the, the Article 10 process has been so slow in delivering um, plants that can actually operate, Governor Cuomo has pushed this new siting law that he included in the state budget. It, it passed. Um, it, was, it, was, it was interesting. The, the, uh, the vote on the passage, I have to look this up for a second. Um, it was, uh, and they passed the assembly by the, a vote of 88 to 54. Well, that's not exactly overwhelming. I mean, it's, 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 it passed easily, but there was a lot of people on the other side of it. And I think they're representing um, communities that are saying, hey, wait a minute, we don't know that we want to, you know, hit the accelerator that hard. We want to still have serious input in the, each one of these projects. Um, but it did pass. And I think, uh, you know, Cuomo, he wants to see some of these things get through and not get, get hung up continually in the, you know, by local opposition. What, uh, there was a lot of chatter about this basically eroding uh, home rule. Mm -hmm. is, is that basically where the opposition was corely rooted, um, even beyond just sort of the, the negative feelings that maybe some homeowners and property owners in these communities who may have been, you know, if you own property near a potential solar farm, there's, there have been plenty of examples of folks saying, you know, this is going to erode my property value. It's going to do this, that, the other thing. But from the government standpoint, was there also a, a contingency of, we need, we need our choice. We need our voice in this. Well, in New York State, uh, home rule is a very, very strong legal concept. And um, it, as, as uh, the, the fracking industry learned, um, it, you know, the fracking industry basically lost the fight. Uh, the, you know, their fight was, um, we want the State Department of Environmental Conservation to tell everybody where you're allowed to drill a gas well. And, and, and they are the ones supposed to have sole control over that. And meanwhile, communities like Dryden, New York, and, and uh, um, you know, Dryden, let's stay with Dryden, um, they said, well, wait a minute, we want to have control over, you know, our zoning and land use, and, and home rule, you know, provides us with that opportunity. Well, this, this went all the way to the state Supreme Court and, uh, it, you know, the, the fracking industry lost that. Um, the, the state Supreme Court said, yes, the local, uh, uh, you know, Dryden um, is allowed to have zoning rules that, that can actually ban this. Um, now, the question of whether this is going to apply to Cuomo's new law uh, I think he had, he's very well aware of why it didn't work for the frackers, and I think he's trying to, or has has attempted to, um, to address that issue by providing certain avenues of local input. You know, that's still part of. He's not he's not like blocking local input. He's saying there still are ways that that localities can can uh, can complain about individual projects. Um, 
so it'll it'll be really interesting to see how this works out legally. What uh, sort of gut feeling, um, given your your coverage of these these different issues? What do the next say six to twelve months look like um, with regard to to these environmental projects that are in different phases of of activity and different stages of the process um, around the region? Uh, but then also with the context of the coronavirus and social distancing and everything like that, what, what realistically speaking, what should people expect to see um, out of these projects as far as progress goes in any way, shape or form over the next six to 12? Well, you know, I, this is just a guess, but I mean, I think many things are just going to be put on hold until we figure out what is the plan with social distancing. Are we going to have real social distancing? Are we going to have public hearings or not? And so much will depend on that. I mean, my, my gut is things are going to really slow down and approvals are going to have to really slow down uh, because they can't, um, they can't meet the legal requirements at this point mm-hmm. unless, they, uh, you know, unless they find a way to tinker with those legal requirements and, and, uh, and can, can accommodate the fact that we're not getting out and meeting. Right. Um, so let's talk a little bit about some of the landfills um, that you have been focusing a lot of your coverage on uh, in the last month or so. Um, radioactivity in landfills is not a new topic for you. It's something that you've uh, dived into numerous times over the last two years. Um, what, where does this stand right now? What landfills are we talking about? And, and what are some of the issues at the, the core of this? Well, the um the most, I mean, the main fight right now, I guess, is uh, is the Hakes landfill. That's that, that's where the the legal, the latest legal battle is. But you know, at this point, Hakes has been uh, Hakes is a landfill that's that's five or six miles uh, northwest of Corning, and it is a uh, uh, it it's owned and operated by uh, Casella Waste Systems. It. Um, it's been accepting um, what they call drill cuttings from Pennsylvania gas wells for the last uh, at least half dozen years, uh, although they're taking less now than they used to several years ago. There definitely is a decline there. But they have just won approval uh, from the state DEC to expand that landfill, and there are no prohibitions about uh, about taking the uh, the drilling waste from Pennsylvania. Um, the uh, the controversy is, and there, there's been controversy almost from the get-go. As soon as these these landfills that are not uh, authorized to take radioactive waste, as soon as they began taking um, material from um, from from gas wells in Pennsylvania, that immediately was a red flag to a lot of people in New York who live near these landfills because the Marcellus shale is notoriously radioactive. Mm-hmm. It, uh, radium and, and its, uh, its, it, its uh, daughter compounds, like including radon, uh, you know, radon is the biggest problem. Um, it, it's basically, um, it's there. And so if you take waste from these, um, 
you have to be really on your guard that you're not you're not bringing radioactive waste into New York State. Now the DEC has has claimed that they have taken care of this. They've guarded against this by putting um, monitors, uh, radioactivity monitors, at the um, at the entrances that the trucks have to pass through, and that there, if if any load is clearly radioactive. Uh, they will be able to spot it and turn it away. That's that has been their line all along. Now, um, several scientists have said, "Well, those radio, the, those monitors are uh, are not effective and not reliable." And the proof is that when you study the leachate that comes from the landfills, that they have absolutely clear markers of radioactivity. They have some of these daughter products of radium-226 that are appearing. And uh, the fact that they're there, they don't, they don't come from anywhere else except from the decay, the decay process of radium. They, you know, so if you, have, if you have any indication at all of high readings of these daughter products, that means you have radium. And the DEC has, has uh, they, they don't seem to have, have uh, completely um, addressed this scientific argument. And what, what's interesting, one of the people who is making the argument against the DEC's position is a, is a guy named David, David Carpenter, Dr. David Carpenter uh, in Albany. He's, a, uh, he's a, a, an environmental professor there in Albany, a health professor. And um, he's one of the people that has argued that this is a, a tremendous risk, that, that there is enormous amounts of radon that is radon gas that is coming out of these landfills, mainly the, the, the Hakes landfill and Chemung landfill. Um, we don't know how much, but it's probably a very, very high number and that they need to test for radon. And the state has just said, no, we, we're not going to require testing for radon. And radon is very, very dangerous. It's the second leading cause of lung cancer um, in the United States. It, um, and and people, for people who smoke, it's particularly dangerous. It's not like you just add the risk of being a smoker and the radon thing. It, it's a compounding risk. So you want to be very, very careful about allowing radon to just blow in the wind as he says, it undoubtedly is. We just don't know how much. But what's significant about um, David Carpenter is he was the one who, who um, was one of the researchers that wrote the report about why fracking was very dangerous. And it was one that, the, that um, uh, Howard Zucker, he actually waved that uh, report in the air when he was uh, explaining why fracking needed to be banned in New York State. So here's the same guy several years later coming back and saying, we've got another big problem, but they're just, they have just completely squelched that, that objection. And uh, they're, they're just not addressing it. So a question I have, uh, when I started to do a little bit of research on some of these items pertains to enforcement. Um, how or how could uh, enforcement be affected at the state level based on what's going on with the coronavirus as it pertains to some of the things you're talking about now and then just the general operation of some of these uh, landfill facilities across the board? Um, 
ask that, rephrase that a little bit, because I'm not sure exactly how to respond to that, uh, the way you said it. Um, are you are you asking about um, how the coronavirus affects this? Go yeah, essentially, say, like, when it comes to realizing that we're probably going to have to maintain social distancing and some other protocols for, you know, maybe six to 12 plus months, plus the real the reality that the state has a budget deficit now in the 10 to 15 plus billion dollar range. Um, how do you think that could impact, uh, I don't want to say just enforcement, but sort of like the general regulation of some of these facilities that people have legitimate concerns about? Well, I think for the, for the State Department of Health and the DEC, I mean, obviously they have to worry about COVID more than anything else. I mean, that rightfully needs to be front and center for them. So, you know, they, they're going to try in every way to, um, you know, to, you know, to do the best job they can as regulators, I'm sure. And, uh, well, as, um, in, in fact, as a, as a Department of Health spokesman uh, told me with, with respect to the uh, process of approving all these wind and gas or wind and uh, solar projects. He said, everything's still on track. Everything's fine. This is not affecting us at all. And which is a little bit pie in the sky, because if you can't hold a public hearing that is required, that's obviously going to slow you down. But I think they, they really do want to try to do everything they can. Now, whether they're going to be able, whether they have the staffing to do it, uh, whether they have the you know the focus to be able to do it all, I you know I think it's going to be an extreme challenge, which means I think something is just some things are just going to get uh, you know postponed or or pushed down on the priority list. And that in, that includes things like PFAS, and it probably includes um, HABs and things like that. All of those things are um, those are incredibly important environmental issues, but where do they stand? where do they stack up against COVID-19? I mean, I, I could understand why they would have to take a back seat. Thanks for joining us this hour on Inside the FLX. I'm Josh Durso, and we'll be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, download the FingerLakes1.com app to have the latest local breaking news, alerts, and podcasts delivered right to your hand each and every day. Follow and subscribe to the show on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. If you enjoy the program and can support us, head over to Patreon.com slash FL1 to pledge monthly support. If you have an idea for a show or simply want to let your voice be heard, drop us an email or leave us a voice message by visiting visiting inside the FLX.com. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you back here next week.